Amen. Take your Bibles. Join me tonight. <laughs> tonight. Second time I'm preaching. It feels like tonight. Join me in John chapter 17 this morning. I'd like to begin this morning by reading verses 1 through 5. John chapter 17. The Bible says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So we've already spent five weeks in these opening verses. Three of those, we looked at verse number three. It's a critical verse. It's one every Christian needs to know and understand. And it is one of the clearest, if not the clearest, definition of eternal life in the Bible. And only John writes so clearly. You can go over to the first John, I think it's in first John, where he, he kind of mentions this kind of thing again. But he says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Remember that eternal life isn't a place. It's a person. It's a relationship with Christ. Everything about the Christian life revolves around knowing God through Christ. Everything. He is our salvation. And having an active relationship with God is the true Christian life. People are searching for, I want to I grow deeper in my relationship. I want to have a closer walk with God, and I want to give victory here, and I want to do this and that. And yet the Bible here says, you know what it is? Quit overthinking it. It's having a relationship with, with God. It's knowing Him. It's walking with Him. It's talking with Him. It's listening for Him through His Word. It's just having that relationship with Him. And so everything about the Christian life is, is on this. And the Bible mentions four times that God has become my salvation. He is our salvation. It's not our works. It's not our baptism. It's not our church membership. It's not any of those external things. Our salvation is God. The Bible says in Exodus 15, uh, 2, the Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. We find the same thing in Psalm 118, 14, and Psalm 118, 21 says, and thou art become my salvation. And Isaiah 12, 2 says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. And without trying to recap all of the last three sermons from verse three, I just want to simplify it this morning by re-asking the question, do you know God? And does God know you? Do you know God this morning? When you boil it all down, that's what matters. Do you know God? This is what separates true Christianity from religion. Religion says you have to work your way. Christianity says, God said, I know you can't work your way, so I'm going to come down to you. To establish that relationship with Him, He says, you can be reconciled to me through Christ's blood. And so the question is, do you know God? Do you just profess to know God or do you know God? Do you have a relationship with Him? And this is all that matters to live the true Christian life. And this is all that matters after we die. 
you will be judged on whether or not you know Christ. And as a child of God, having entered into a relationship with God, we will be judged on what we did for His glory in our relationship with Him. Now, let's look at verse 4 on that note. Speaking of glorifying God with this life, it says in verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And I have made mention a couple of times already in this chapter how Christ glorified God the Father in being the perfect fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. That Jesus glorified God because He was the fulfillment of the type, shadows, figures, the sacrifices that we find under the old covenant. He is the fulfillment of those things. And in doing that, He glorified God in showing that God keeps His promises. God keeps His Word. As we just said, God never changes. And so He glorified God. And I think we can make some applications this morning to our lives that I believe will be a help as we try to have this relationship with God. What is it that we're to do? What is it we're called to do? And as we look at verse 4, we'll find some applications here that I believe will, will be a help. But would you notice, first of all, how God, He had a work for Christ to do in coming to this earth. He had a work for Christ to do. You see, Christ just didn't show up. It, it wasn't just random happenstance. It wasn't chance. It, he showed up for a very definite purpose. He showed up exactly as God intended it to be. Uh, his appearance was not an accident, but it was right on God's timetable. Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And we already considered in verse one, it says, uh, he says, my hour has come and the hour of his suffering, the hour of his crucifixion, the hour that He would redeem mankind to Himself. This hour of suffering, He said, it's come. In other words, it was already planned. And now it's come. It's here. That which God had foreordained is now here. And I'm just simply saying this. It was all planned. Amen. There was not a plan B. There was not a, oops, let me rethink this. There was not a, oh, I didn't think the Romans would be that unaccepting. It was none of that. It was all planned. Our salvation was planned. Jesus' arrival was planned. His work was planned. And I want to take this thought to let you know this morning. And I want you to really get a hold of this. God has a plan for your life. Not that He has a plan for your life through this church. Although that's good. He has a plan for your life. Put your name in there. He has a plan for he has a plan for you. You are not here by accident. Amen. You are not here by chance. But there is a God in heaven who opens and closes the womb and He knows exactly who is in this world. He knows who is born into this world. And none of you are here by accident in the sight of God. Even if you were born out of wedlock. Even if you were conceived as the result of a wrong decision by two young people, even if you were conceived out of rape, even if your parents looked at you and said, you were an accident, I want to tell you this morning, you are not an accident to God. He has a purpose for you. He knows you were coming into this world. He knew how you would come into this world. And He has a plan for your life because He loves you. 
That's why I hate the theory of evolution. It removes the fact that you have been uniquely created by God. Evolution reduces life to nothing more than springing up out of some pond scum from a cosmic accident. They call it the Big Bang Theory. It's completely anti-God. And I totally reject the idea that one can somehow intermingle evolution into their faith in Christ. For example, a large amount of people who profess to know God admit they believe in evolution, but then to justify that position, they say, well, I know God had a hand in it. That maybe God just launched it. According to a Pew Research study, approximately 62% of professed believers say humans have evolved over time due to processes that were guided or allowed by God. And listen, I'm not talking about all those crazy definitions of evolution that everybody wants to debate. Well, did you know there's macro and micro? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whether or not we came from apes. 64% believe. Of believers. Believe that. Quoting from an article posted on Christianity Today, which in my opinion is a terrible publication, Anyway, there's a quote in the article which reads, According to Pew, the results show that perhaps we have been posing the evolution question all wrong. When given the opportunity to say that God played a role in evolution, many Christians will reject the classic creationist viewpoint. Now, let me interpret that last line for you, because you're not going to read it on Christianity Today. But where it says many Christians will reject the classic creationist viewpoint, it means this. They'll reject the book of Genesis. It means they'll reject the Word of God. In the same article, there's a quote from an evangelical church leader who said this, quote, I took a group of youth to a science center, and they had this great exhibit on the Big Bang Theory. And the youth were really upset about it. I love how youth are many times smarter than these so-called evangelical leaders. And I said, well, what if it was a Big Bang? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with there being a Big Bang. I think as a believer, though, we know who lit the fuse. In other words, I'm okay with evolution, evolution as so long as God had a hand in it. And this lie of evolution has so infected churches that some so-called churches and Christian religions are at the point where the theory of evolution is actually being taught in their Christian schools. I know this to be true from personal testimony that I've heard from those who grew up in a Catholic school. It's being taught in so-called Christian environments. And to do so relegates the Bible account of creation to nothing more than a myth. And there are pastors in the pulpit, I can take you to the YouTube site and show you the sermons where they will get up and they will tell you that the Genesis account is a myth. Churches. If you're going to change the Genesis account of creation, then how much of the Bible are you really going to believe? You say, well, that could never happen then I guess you don't have salvation because if God can create everything in six days, He sure can save my miserable, wretched soul. But if He can't say, let there be, and it was, then how is He going to save me? 
My point is this, the world in over half of so-called Christendom have no belief that they were uniquely created by God. But I want to say again to you, your life is not an accident. The same Bible which so clearly says God created everything in six days is the same Bible which says in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You're not an accident. I couldn't imagine saying I believe in God and that I believe in a Christ who came to die to save me, but then also say I'm just here by evolutionary chance. Or even by evolution that was guided by the hand of God. Because if we say that, how do we deal with sin entering the world? How do we deal with Adam and Eve being created? If we're going to say, no, 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 I I believe in evolution, but I believe God had a, a hand in it, then where does that come in at? And if you don't have that, then you have a lot of theology that is now out of whack. Because we have to rethink, why was it Christ came to save, uh, save, die for us in the first place? Why did He come to die for us in the first place if there was no Adam and Eve, if there was no fall of mankind, if there was no sin? Well, we just evolved into sinners. Listen, don't get me started on evolution. I'm trying real hard not to talk about how dumb evolution is. I mean, if I was going to evolve, I would evolve into a lazy bird bum. I would evolve into your cat. That does absolutely nothing in life but lay there. I'm getting off track, can you tell? If we strip away creation as found in the Bible, then, then we strip away theology. We strip away the fact that Jesus came to die for mankind because we're sinners. And so if you take away creation, you might as well take away why Christ came to die. Now, my point though is this. You are here on purpose for a purpose. You are here on purpose for a purpose. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Paul said in Galatians 1.15 and 16, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. You see, Jesus knew why He came to this earth. He came to this earth to save mankind. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Jeremiah said, I know why I came to this earth. God ordained me to be a prophet. The Apostle Paul said, I know why I've come to this earth because God has called me to preach the gospel. And the reason we have such a definite purpose in life is because you and I have been uniquely created above all other of God's creation. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And I want to tell you this morning, the first step 
that God has for your life, the plan He has for your life, the very first step, is that you would be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He has a plan for you to be saved. He sent His only begotten Son to die in your place, to shed His blood so that your sins could be remitted. But I want you to know that even after salvation, God has a very definite plan for your life. And you need to know this. Suicides are on the rise. Suicides among young people are on the rise. No hope in life. Because they lose sight of the fact that there's a God in heaven who uniquely created them and that He has a plan for their life. He wants you to be in His will. If you'll take the time to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you'll begin to fulfill the revealed will of God for your life, that which the Bible clearly says you ought to be doing, then God will begin to show you what else He has for your life. I believe God wants you to know the specific will of God for your life more than you even want to know it. But you've got a desire after it. He wants you in His will, but you have to be obedient to Him. And you have to keep your relationship with God where it ought to be. God had a work for Christ to do. And God has a work for you to do. Jesus didn't just randomly show up, but He came at God's appointed time. And you didn't just randomly show up either. But you're here at God's appointed time. Jesus' birth was not an accident. And your birth was not an accident. Don't ever doubt that you are here right now for this time. You are here for a very definite purpose. And you may not always see it all. And you may not always understand it all. But stay confident of this one thing. That He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We think of Mordecai who told Esther, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther, I don't really know why God has you on this earth, but it could be for this reason right here. And you say, I don't know why I'm here. God has a purpose for you. And listen, you may be at the point of your life where you say, well, I don't really know what work God has for me to do. Regarding some of those specifics, I would say that's okay for a season. But notice an important connection here in verse 4, which I think will be a help. Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. The work Jesus was given was directly tied to him giving glory to God. You catch that? And while you may say, I don't really know what God wants to do with my life. I would tell you that he wants your life to bring glory to him. It's God's will for your life. I don't know God's specific will for you. I don't know what he's going to call you into, what profession or whatever. But I know the revealed will of God as it's shown in the word of God. And I can tell you that part of the revealed will of God for your life is to bring glory to him. Then you just let him bring about the specifics of your life as you grow, as you mature in your relationship with him. But no matter what, no matter what turns you take in that, you have to keep bringing glory to God along the way.
Isaiah 43, 7 says, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Revelation 4, 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So first of all, you need to know God has a work for you to do because you are here on purpose for a purpose. Second, you need to know that work, whatever capacity it's in, is to bring glory to God. God may not call you to be a pastor. God may not call you to be a preacher. God may not call you to the mission field. But you don't have to be called into what we refer to as full-time ministry to bring glory to God with your life. Did you know that God's interested in godly military personnel? That'll bring glory to Him. Did you know God is interested in mechanics who will bring glory to Him? You know, God is interested in craftsmen who will bring glory to Him. God is interested in real estate agents that will bring glory to Him. God is interested in sanitation professionals that will bring glory to Him. God is interested in teachers who will bring glory to Him. And whatever the profession you want to you pick... I want to tell you, God is interested in you, and He has a work for you to do. And at the core of that work is for your life to bring glory to God. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. To bring glory to God means you honor Him, you magnify Him, you praise Him, you worship Him. Are you glorifying God with your life? Does your life honor God or do you pay more respect to yourself? Well, I'll be there if the sun is shining. That's a Georgia thing. I'll be there if the pontoon motor's out. I don't know what South Dakotans, what do they make excuses for? What is it, blizzards? Well, I'm not coming in a blizzard, thanks, sis. Um, all right, I'm not going to my wife for help anymore on sermons. <laughs> now I'm going to pay for that. Do you magnify God with your life? Or is it all about you? Do you praise God with your life or do you live for the praise of men? Do you worship God in your life or is everything about self? Are you glorifying God with the life you have upon this earth? You understand you get one life. You get one, one chance at this. Who are you going to live it for? Lastly, we see in verse 4 that not only did God have a work for Christ to accomplish, and not only did that work center around Him bringing glory to God, but we see that Christ finished the work that God had given Him to do. And I think this is critical because you might start out right, but you might flame out along the way and not fulfill the work which God has for you to do. So the same is true for us. God has a work for us. That, it, that work is centered around being, bringing glory to Him. But that work of glorifying God with our life is not complete until we draw our last breath. In other words, while you have breath, you need to be glorifying God. It's never over. And to be honest, when we look at those who don't finish, we look at a life that didn't fully glorify God. It's been said, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish. It's also been said by people who say these things. 
People don't always remember how you start. They always remember how you finish. And I want to close by giving you two examples from the Bible. King Solomon, early in his life, glorified God. God told Solomon, ask what shall be given thee. In 2 Chronicles 1, 10-12, Solomon said, Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked for riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast thou asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people, over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. The Bible says that Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the east. That his wisdom excelled all the wisdom of Egypt. He went on to build the temple of God. And when the queen of Sheba showed up and toured the place, she said the half hadn't even been told. But Solomon loved many strange women. The daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Women from the nations, God said, don't intermingle with them, don't go after them. The Bible says all his wives turned his heart. And what followed is perhaps the saddest demise of all time. In 1 Kings 11, 4 through 8, it says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Chemosh. This is the man that built the temple of God. And now he's building places of false worship. In the hill that is before Jerusalem is where he built that. Abomination of Moab, the Bible calls it. And he built a place for Molech. Where they would sacrifice children. The abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he... For all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. I want you to just think how sad that this man who was the penman of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon did not finish the work which he was called to do. He was to bring glory to God all of his life. And he started out well doing that. But before his life was over, God said that he had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's also sad to me how many people who will say what they used to do for God. Say amen. Well, I used to do this, and I used to do that, and I used to be a part of this, and I used to be a part of that. What happened? Why are you no longer glorifying God? 
And now they act no different than the world around them because they have intermarried with the people that God said you need to stay away from. I don't mean stay away from as far as winning them. But when we're talking about yoking up and marrying, God says stay away from it. And now we see people that their life used to be used doing the things that would glorify God, and now their life is those things they used to preach against. I don't know how many of you started out strong, and then you kind of fizzled out a little bit. I can give testimony to that. I remember after I got saved, man, I was on fire. I wanted everybody to know what had happened. Something happened, though, a few years later. Kind of fizzled out. Wasn't living my life the way I should. And God had to shake me up. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you're one of those people who say, man, I used to and I used to. You still can. You still can. You say, well, no, you don't understand. I, I'm old and my body's broken down. And, and I, No, no, no. You can still bring glory to God. God's not done with you or else you wouldn't be sitting here breathing. You say, well, I'm too young. No, you're not. I read of King Josiah who was eight years old. God gives us the work to glorify Him upon this earth, and He intends for us to finish that work. Come what may. Say, well, this isn't what I planned. Oh, well. I didn't plan to be up here when I got saved. I planned to be fishing for smallmouth bass in the Clinch River. But I can also tell you, it's way better being right where you know God wants you. God gives us this work. We need to finish it. Now, it doesn't mean that ministry focus may change, right? I mean, that may happen. Somebody may, may be a pastor, no longer be a pastor. Somebody may be a pastor, go into evangelism. Some, somebody may have worked in this career and they go to this career. I'm not saying that the focus can't change. But what I am saying, or the, the ministry area may change, but the focus of glorifying God should never change. Now, on the other side of that, I think about the Apostle Paul. He started out as Saul of Tarsus. He persecuted the church of God. He arrested Christians. And he would go from town to town arresting Christians, and then he would stand trial against that believer in hopes that they would be put to death. This is the man that wrote like 13 books of the New Testament. He was the man who was holding the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen to death. But then one day on the road to Damascus, amen, he was saved. The Lord saved him. He became a child of God. And he knew that his life was meant to glorify God from that point forward, come what may. He glorified God all the way until the end of his earthly life. In Acts 20, 24, speaking about all that he had to endure, he said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And then as he was nearer to death, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Paul, like Jesus, could say, I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. 
And would to God all of God's children could say at the end of their life, I have done that which God has called me to do. You don't want to get to the end of your life and realize you wasted it. I don't know what always causes some to drop out and some to go forward. But I believe scripturally it has something to do with keeping your eyes on the prize. In Hebrews 12.2 it tells us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus kept the joy in mind that He would have after His sacrifice, after His life of doing the work God had called Him to do. After He had finished the work of glorifying God, He knew that there was a joy that was set before Him. He knew that there was an inheritance of the saints that He was going to receive. There was a bride of Christ that He was going to get. And right now, He's waiting for that day when the trumpet will sound and God will say, Go get your bride! Because He finished the work that God gave Him to do. He's our example. Look unto Jesus and and the Apostle Paul who went through more than you and I will ever go through. This is what he said in Philippians 3.14, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He kept pressing on knowing that one day he was going to give an account to God. Knowing one day he would stand before God. Knowing one day that he would have to answer for what he did in this body. And I want to confess to you this morning, there are times in my life where I get low. And what keeps me going sometimes, whether you agree or disagree, is just how it is with me. What keeps me going sometimes is this. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I can't wait to see my Lord. And I don't know what He's going to say to me. I don't know what the first words will be, but I sure wish it'd be this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. See, I don't know what God's called me to do. He's called you to glorify Him. And no matter the details, if you'll just do that, you'll be blessed. And one day you'll look back and realize, I'm right where God wanted me the whole time. Because you have spent your life bringing glory to God. Now, all of us are somewhere in this verse. I believe that. Maybe you need to think about these thoughts a little bit more during your personal time with the Lord. I want to ask you as I close, are you convinced that God has planned it all? Are you convinced that you are not here by accident? Well, I sure would like to have been born back in this era. No, no, no. God has you here for a very specific purpose. Then, are you convinced that God has a plan for your life personally? By name. Are you convinced God has a work just for you, which He is calling you to do? I can tell you from personal experience, there's there's no greater joy than knowing you're doing exactly what God has put you on this earth to do. Amen, Amen, sister. I, I can tell you that this is not the path I would have chosen. But having tried to follow God's will in my life and try to do those things that please Him and try to bring glory to Him, God has led me to this point. I can tell you, I know that I know this is exactly where God wants me to be. And this is why God has put me on this earth. And when you know that, it does something to you. And so many people don't have that assurance. And they keep searching for something that they're not going to find outside of Christ. Are you convinced God has a work just for you? 
And no matter what that work is, are you convinced that your life is for God's glory? And are you living your life for God's glory? And lastly, I would say this. If you're at that point, you're convinced you are here on purpose for a purpose, and you know that your life is to bring glory to God, I would just encourage you, you keep bringing glory to God until you draw your last breath. Keep pressing for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's going to be a reward day one day. We're going to give an account. And that which we did for God's glory is what will stand. The Bible says in Revelation twenty-two twelve, 12, this is Jesus saying, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Let's pray.